We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into another edition of Green with Envy. As always, this is your boy Will. We are checking in. How you doing? How you living? The boys are back from break and reuniting as we always do. We got the three-man weave in the building after we go dark. There's only one way to bring back the light, and that is with the three-man weave. So, of course, we have my best friend, co-host, coach of the podcast, the one and only Greg Manakis. How you doing, man? I'm surviving, bro. The smile that you see when you see my teeth—it's not a smile; it's a grimace, fighting through, <laughs> fighting through some neck pain. So um, I feel like I'm just constantly squinting in pain. Uh, for those of you that are watching on YouTube, that's the the facial expressions that I'm making. It's pure just suppression of the neck pain that's radiating throughout my body right now. <laughs> So we're not exactly fully rested as we return here back to the feed. And of course, joining us, our podcasting cousin from across the pond, the leader of the Taylor gang. Of course, it's our guy, Adam Taylor. Rocking his new glasses. Rocking, if you're watching on YouTube, you know, they just look like the blue light glasses, but they're not. Whole glasses crew here. Yo. I know. We were once told that we uh, we should we can't have too many glasses on this podcast from a dear friend of ours, but to him we say, fuck that. We buck the trends today. We got three glasses all up in the screen today. Adam, how did you feel? Uh, I know you were a little timid about this, having to make this transition to being, to being a glasses guy. How, how are you feeling about it? So the best way I can put it was like, when I first put them on, it was like going from watching a 1990s TV. Do you remember the old box set TVs, the big ones? Oh, and yeah, you like, got to smack that shit on the side when it's not working. Yeah, dude. And then like, as I slide them over, I go HD. So like, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm okay with it. I, I understand why I need them now. That, that made me sound like it's, uh, you know, when you're watching HBO and they do like the, the white noise and then it comes into focus. That, that's what I was picturing as you, were, as you were going through that. Yeah, everything's just a little bit more like, distorted without them so i'm like yeah i understand it now you know they're comfortable enough i just keep forgetting to put them on are we still <laughs> are we still as handsome as you thought we were 
I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> the answer yes. is yes, yes, Adam. That's what what do you mean you don't know how to respond to that? That was that was that was set up on a platter. You should say you're actually even more handsome because now we're in focus. We were out of focus this entire time. I mean, I mean, okay, so you caught me off guard with the question. Of course <laughs> the answer is yes. I do apologize for my initial trepidation with answering that question. You guys are out here glowing. Thank you, I brother. Know. And you you look great. You look of great. Of course. Too. I'm I'm very we're well. Back. We're back. Well, we're we're trying to glow at We were talking about it a little bit before. Um, you know, we went dark last week. We're back, folks. We're back. We got two episodes a week coming in. We got some more YouTube features coming. So make sure that you guys are following us across all of our social medias, like we always talk about. So make sure you're hitting us up on that. Uh, but we were saying, you know, Greg and I were doing a little bit of traveling during this last week, week plus or so uh, that we've been off the air, and uh, you know. I wouldn't say it was the most restful of times. Uh, we've had uh, quite a few airline struggles, and uh, our guy, our guy Greg, right now is, is is barely holding it together. He's playing playing through the pain as he talked about in the intro. How you feel? Are you gonna make it, man? Dude, on the on the drive home from the grocery store, so my neck is like really jacked up from from traveling for the last like twenty four hours. And you got the pillow when you travel too. You're you're a pillow guy. You got the the. I neck do support. I do have the neck pillow. It's actually also serving as a neck brace right now, but it's a little bit too big for the headphones. So I, I had to take it off right before we hopped on here. But when we went to H E B, which is like the stop and shop down here in uh, in Texas, for those of you that are listening uh, up in Boston. Um, Danielle had to take over driving cause I couldn't do it. I couldn't turn my head to actually look, you know, and be safe looking out the mirrors. But as she was driving, she's, you know, she's a little more herky jerky than I am as she's driving. I literally had to stand there. <laughs> it's a very diplomatic there, way like, of saying what you're holding, saying. <laughs> <laughs> holding my head in place because anytime we would like take a too sharp of a turn or something, it would kill my neck. So the whole time we were driving, I was literally holding my head in place. Um, but I'm here baby and I'm ready to rock. <laughs> well, we survived, man. We survived. We had, uh, you know, just Adam, just to give you a quick insight into the start of our trip. So we found out that Greg and I were flying back to Boston accidentally on the same flight. Like we didn't plan it; just happened to be the timing was right. So it was perfect. We had like basically a little little double date in the airport before we got on the plane. Unfortunately, that plane sat at the gate. It's just, and I think this is basically universally everyone's worst nightmare with a plane is that you board the plane. And then you sit at the gate inside the plane for multiple hours. Hours. You sat at the gate and didn't hours. My guy, Greg here, I, I thought he was going to go viral. You know how we've seen a few people. There was that one woman who was running down the plane saying that there was an imaginary figure back there. Greg was probably another 15 minutes away from having a similar situation. Bro. We sat on the plane for three hours, Adam. Three hours before we deboarded and got a new plane. It was It was a rough start. So Adam, if, if you're sitting on a plane for three hours waiting to take off, what are some of the like the worst things that can happen in those three hours while you're waiting? Like what what do you not want to have happen while you're on the plane? Well, first of all, obviously you don't want the plane to blow up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a good first one. Yeah. I don't know, man. Like I try not to think about the negatives when I'm on a plane because I'm not the most confident of people flying. I forgot about this part. We probably shouldn't. We probably should have yeah. gotten this. I always think about like, you know, what if like, so what if one of the, the wheels fall off, you know, and your plane just drops face first into the concrete, boom, because the front wheel snapped. Um, I always think about somebody just losing their mind and just like 
pulling out a machete or something and just trying to chop everybody up. My mind goes to the most craziest place. Okay, okay. So, like, I was thinking more, like, minor inconveniences within those three hours, not, like, death traps. But uh, that's You said what are the worst things. You didn't say what are some (laughs) of the worst He did take you literally. He took you very literally. (laughs) The plane blow up. Somebody come out with a machete. Wheels fall off. Our pets' heads are falling off. Uh, So, Adam, what I was more referring to is, like, having good air circulating, especially when you're in Austin, like having air conditioning on the plane because you're in a metal tube, right? So, I don't know, 45 minutes into our time on the on the plane as we're waiting, they tell us they have to shut the plane off in Austin, Texas, where it's 105 degrees because they need to restart the, um, like all the computers, right, to, to see if the error message is hilarious because this is like yeah. the straight out of the will we or school of how to fix things. Well, let's have we tried turning it off. That's the, that's let's just turn it off and turn it back on. Yeah, Maybe yeah. it'll work again. Dude, the smartest people in the world. We might not know. The smartest people in the world. All you got to do is unplug it, replug it. And the AC goes off and they tell us that they're going to be pumping in fresh air from an outside source as the plane is shut off for the 15 minutes as they're trying to restart it. That did not happen. There was no air that was being pumped from the the beginning. Yeah. They like frigging brought in a window unit and acted like they could like cool down a plane with that. But people are losing their mind on this plane, man. Me being one of them. Anytime they like gave us an update on how much longer, I just started like laughing more and more maniacally. And there were like little kids on the plane. You don't want little kids on the plane freaking out. I had a family of like five in front of me, and the little kids are like actually kind of being really funny, like po- poking their head through the seats and looking at me and making these weird faces. But they were kind of screaming. And then you get like all the 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 sweat, the collective stress sweat of everybody waiting for this plane to take off with no air circulating in 105 degree heat. And then after about, I don't know, 20 to 25 minutes, the pilot keeps coming on telling us, oh, it's going to be another 20 to 25 minutes, folks. If you could just hang tight, we appreciate your patience, but we're keep we're getting that error message, but we expect to be on, uh, on the way soon. Just hang tight for another 20 to 25 minutes. By the fifth time you hear that, the same exact message, you start losing your fucking mind. And, they, and then they tell us, okay, folks, good thing the error message has been fixed. That means we are getting on the runway. We are ready to take off, everybody. This is three hours later. We taxi for about 20 minutes, and we're getting ready to take off. There's no air circulating. I keep reaching up to the air vent being like, hey, is the air actually coming through? Because I don't want to be on this flight if it's going to be three and a half hours, four hours to Boston with no air circulating. And after about 20 minutes, they come on and they say, uh, well, folks, uh, hate to be the bearer of bad news, but this flight is officially too hot to fly. Um, so we are going to have to head back to the gate. We apologize for any inconvenience, but we, this plane is officially too hot to fly. So we're going to be going back to the gate right now. And <laughs> dude, I almost, I almost so lost basically, aside from, aside from any of the deathly circumstances that Adam brought up, <laughs> this is the, the tame version of, of, of the nightmare of our, of our plane travel. So Listen, thank God I didn't have a machete. <laughs> well, this is the thing, right? Like, like I said, I can find that shit anywhere. Like people, I don't know, man. You asked me what the worst things were. People can find machetes anywhere. What, what what airlines are we taking for for your own sanity, Adam? And for those around you, I hope that you do not end up in the same situation that that, that Greg and I had the other day. It's but. the news, man. Like I've never had a bad travel. Touchwood. I think the worst travel situation I've had is like coming back from Boston myself. They were like, right, we're on the plane. We're going to be early so we're going to sit here for 45 minutes before we take off 
And I was okay with that. So I'm just. But you already. It's, it's, so it's that, but you never take off. It's it's yeah. almost like this weird purgatory that they would do as like a torture chamber. Like, oh yeah, you guys are taking off. No, you're not. No, no, you're not. You just sit there the entire time. But, <laughs> but do you at least get in-flight entertainment because it's an internal? Uh, they had movies and stuff like so you, you know get that but... internal because in Europe, if you're flying in around Europe, you don't get no entertainment. Well, a lot of those trips are also usually like. You know, because that's the one crazy part about Europe, right? Like everything is, you know, forty-five minutes away, an hour away. Two, you know, even by plane. Sometimes, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like they're, they're, they're quicker flights, yeah. So I know, and, and they're also way cheaper. Like flying in Europe versus pl- flying in the U.S. Like they better give you something because it is way more expensive here to go state to state than it is to go from England to you know the Netherlands or to go to Italy or whatever. Like I can fly to cheaper. I can fly to Amsterdam for like. 60 bucks return yeah that's that's insane it costs yeah let's, let's not even get it let's move on from this we've had a lot of <laughs> a lot of aviation today here. last time it was optometry this time I, it's aviation i was just about to say it all i was just about to say do we want to just like plug in like hey let's kick it to the vibe check and just cut this out we basically just, just just did our vibe check so maybe that will be that will suffice as our vibe check but you know, this is what happens when we're not together. We have things to catch up on. Things go haywire. It's the off-season podcast. This is what happens. Things go in, in different directions. But while we were gone, we did have something pretty cool that that happened that happened to us here. And you may have seen, obviously, Grant Williams no longer with the Celtics. Now with the Dallas Mavericks making the podcast rounds. We've seen him on Old Man and the Three. He's been on title. And then our guy right here, the one and only Adam Taylor, had a chance to sit down with Grant. So Adam, set it up for us here before we throw this to uh, the clip of you and Grant here being able to sit down for a few minutes together. Yeah. So first of all, I want to give a shout out to heavy.com. If anyone's been following the podcast for a while, you know, I'm writing for like a million different places. Um, They hit me up like, Hey, do you want to interview Grant? I'm like, yeah. They're like, cool. They're like, I'm like, cool. (laughs) They're like, all right, then we're going to set it up. I got 10 minutes with him. The first part of it. So the the way this kind of happened was, Grant Williams has his foundation, the Grant Williams Family Foundation. Um, Quest Nutrition, I'm, I'm guessing that's a big company. Uh, they made a donation, and it was kind of like, you know, hey, in the interview, you could ask about Quest and do that, and then obviously you can fit your own things in there as well. So I got 10 minutes with Grant, he's a super cool guy. As soon as I open my mouth, he's like, where are you from? <laughs> <laughs> your favorite topic. I'm like, I'm from the UK. He's like, it's one of my favorite places. I'm like, I know. I saw you went to Chelsea. I was disgusted that you chose to go to London instead of somewhere better. He's like, next time I'm in England, I'm going to hit you up on Instagram and you can show me where to go. I'm like, bet, but I know it's cap. Um, (laughs) You know what I mean? He ain't going to remember that shit. Why would he care what I've got to say? Uh, But the interview was cool. So we just touched on some fun things. If anyone caught my semi Ojale interview last year when I was trying to find out who the strongest in the locker room was, just because it's fun and Honestly, I just want Jason Tatum to react to it, and it's just falling flat on its face every time I try. Um, so we we hit on that, and then we hit on, like, um, there was a question that JJ Reddick asked when it was about Donovan Mitchell shooting free throws, and Grant's like, that was one of three times in my career that I've truly been pissed off at myself. So I'm like, dude, what were the other two times in your career that you've truly been pissed off with yourself? You can't well, let's not give the whole interview away, Adam. Here, we're about to run it. Let's. Yeah, uh, I mean, but they want to know the answers, right? <laughs> I'm teasing this shit. This is expert <laughs> teaser. Uh, so yeah, from there you can hear me, and more importantly, Grant Williams for the next nine to ten minutes. Here it is, Grant Williams on Green with Envy. 
just to dive into the questions, the first one I've got is, I think it was last season you were in Charlotte and there was some children there that you were mentoring. I remember your mom had an interview with um, the sideline reporter at the time. And th- these children were there because you'd invited them to come and watch the game. I'm just wondering what type of, like how how you go about mentoring these children and how rewarding it is for you. And did you have a mentor similar to that growing up? Yes. Um, so I've been always been a big um, advocate for mentoring because I understand what it's like to have a, Good mentor, but also bad, you know. When you have good mentors, you and I started a mentorship when I was in the pandemic with mentees in Boston. I had six mentees that were during the pandemic that we did over Zoom and we were able to connect and, and they actually went to college this year or graduating high school, each are going to university and provide them partial scholarships to their university. Um, then in terms of Charlotte, I have mentees that are here from when I was in not only high school that I've kept in touch with, but also um, ones that are I'm currently mentoring currently. And fortunate enough that they are um, hopefully have access to me. That's the one thing I've always been trying to accomplish. I've always said, you know, I'm not a great texter, so give me a call. And so they, they, whenever they need anything or if they need advice, I call and check on them, they pick up. So uh, try my best to give words of guidance, but also give them um, a, a resource, you know, because um, I've been through a lot so far in my career and also uh, and not only just basketball, but also academically and be able to give guidance in both. So I try my best to, to be available, but also to um, really, really, still some great um, values of discipline to the kids that I, I mentor. And do your relationships carry over? Like, do you still speak to kids that have kind of entered adulthood that you mentored, mentored coming through? Yes, I still do. Um, I'm not that old yet, so not, not a lot of them are. <laughs> but um, a couple of them recently going to college or even the ones that, well, I think one or two of them are in college. So I um, talked to them then, but um, they're in a great time. Let's just say their first couple of years of school. So um, they might not necessarily reach out as much as they, sh- they probably should be, but I try my best to check in every now and again. And um, fortunately enough, I'm trying to just do this great work both for anywhere I go, whether that's in Charlotte, whether that's in Boston, or now in Dallas. And um, with the 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 donation from Quest, how important is that for not only your foundation but other foundations when they receive charitable donations as well? What type of impact does that allow you to have? It allows you to do so much. Thankfully, Quest um, has been a great partner. They've been available not only just from the donation, but in a personal perspective, being able to be there for the foundation um, in times of need and also showing up and providing product, providing whatever may be needed for for events or, or camps or our golf tournaments, you know, I'm super excited to do this partnership with Quest. Thankful for them. And I'm honestly um, really thinking that any charitable donation you can make goes a long way because I always think of it as any donation you make can impact the lives of either one or many kids, you know. And at the end of the day, if you impact the lives of one, it's get back thousands, you know. If you impact the lives of thousands, you can impact the lives of millions. So um, I've always uh, loved charity work and being able to be back in the community and the program that we do um, through our family foundation um, not only includes whether it's tech programs or computer coding, whether it's financial literacy, which will be an inaugural pilot this upcoming year, um, as well as the mentorship and the arts and culture that we continue to do and slash board, which is what we do in the basketball camp here. Financial literacy is probably the biggest one for me because that feel, especially I, I can't speak for the US education system, but over here in, um, in the UK, nobody really teaches financial literacy. So that's a really big opportunity that you're going to be providing to these children. Um, I just want to switch over to some basketball for a moment. I've been dying to ask you this question. So last year, 
Um, when Semi Ojale moved to Italy, um, I was quite fortunate to speak with Semi about this. And I asked him, who was the strongest guy in the Celtics locker room? We all see you and Tatum during after games, the video circle, social media, both of you saying you're stronger than each other. Now that I've got you, who is the strongest guy in the Celtics locker room? Is it you or well, Tatum? Well, from back then, it's Timmy. <laughs> but if we're not counting Shimmy, without a doubt, me. Like, there's no comparison. Like, JT is strong. Like, he has leg strength. Like, he's a good deadlifter. But in terms of everything else, like, ask him. Like, he can't bench. He can't. Like, his chest is bird chest, you know, small. And, like, in terms of, like, everything else, like, he's, I just, I can outlift him any time, day of the week. But the legs, like, I'll give him, like, deadlift. Think he might beat me in squatting. I don't think he'll beat me. Like, it's just certain things I think he'll win at. Like, I don't know why he's good at deadlifting. Maybe it's because it's the only thing he really, like, is, like, practicing all the time. But um, that's why I'll say I'm definitely stronger. Okay, that's um a far less diplomatic response than what Semi gave me. He just said you were both incredibly strong in your own way. Oh no, I'm not doing. I'm not doing that, Shemmy. <laughs> listen, if we're if we're gonna be honest, Shem, Shem is by far like by far the strongest I've ever played with. Like in terms of like strength, no matter what exercise there is. And then I would go um, myself and Rob Williams. Rob Williams actually might be stronger than Jason as well. That's the funny thing. JT might have me top five. I'm lying. Top three. He can be top 30. Well, I was like, he, uh, he, top five is aggressive, but he's definitely like Rob stronger than JT too. So JT now is not even the strongest one in the locker still. Oh man. See, I finally got the answer. It's t- taken me 18 months, but we got there. Um, the next one I've got for you is I was listening to your interview with JJ Reddick, um, which came out yesterday, right? It was fantastic. Really enjoyed it. But one thing that stuck out to me was you were talking about the Donovan Mitchell free throws and we're not going to rehash that. Everybody wants to talk about that. But one thing that you said was that was one of two or three moments where you were really annoyed at yourself. And I was really curious, what are the other two or three moments? Yeah, um, I would say the Donovan Mitchell moment, um, in terms of like missing the free throws in Cleveland. I would say um, really the the Miami Heat over the past, that's like the same moment in a way, like the conference finals, passion and conference finals during the bubble. Those two were definitely frustrating for me. And then um, I think my second year, really just how I um how I um approached and kind of played in that year. Like I could have definitely improved a little bit more than I had. And I was frustrated by that. So those are probably the three biggest moments in my career in terms of frustrations. But um I feel like you've grown because of things like that. You don't always have successes. You gotta have some failures along the way. Yeah, and there's a lot more good than bad. Way more mm-hmm. good than bad. So I want to wrap up here. I know it was um, a 10-minute time slot. I just want to ask, you've already kind of alluded to you're going to bring be bringing your foundation with you to Dallas. But what about your on-court play? So at the start of last season, you were attacking closeouts a lot more, putting the ball on the floor. Um, you've done a lot more baseline drives. I like to call them the Romeo Langford drive because that was somewhere he really excelled at. What are you working on? on court and in terms of your foundation to kind of hit the ground running once the season starts in Dallas? I'll start with on court. On court, the biggest things I'm working on this summer are movement shooting, whether it's pick and pop, whether it's um, coming off a screen, stuff like that, because I've always been a great standstill shooter. I've been a great guy that can sidestep and knock down those shots, but the ones that I'm on the move, I'm kind of lazy, a lazy shooter. I hope to break out of that mold this summer. As well as negotiating, navigating screens as a defender, because I do a great job of switching. It's something that Boston's always been known for. 
but in this new team, I might be asked to chase screens a little bit more to be able to get through. And that's something that I really want to improve on because I don't want to just run guys over and get fouls and be physical. And there's parts of times where you need physicality, but especially during the regular season, being able to negotiate screens and navigate are going to be huge. And then for the terms of foundation, foundationally, I just want to make sure I um, continue the mentorship, continue the literacy and the financial uh, programs, as well as uh, being involved in the community as much as possible, um, whether it's partnering, whether it's um, being active myself, you know, things of that nature is the goal. Awesome, man. Well, I just want to wish you all the luck in the world for next season. And for me personally and Celtics fans everywhere, say thank you, man, because watching you grow from the rookie that came in, and the struggles that you went through shooting threes at the start of your career to where you were as one of the best free and D wings in the entire league, that growth was just exceptional. So to see, I'm really excited to watch you play in Dallas next year. Thank you for your time, man. God bless, brother. I really appreciate it. Hopefully when it comes to the UK, we can get together. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so... As we talked about, we, we've been off for a little bit here. Adam obviously had the opportunity to sit down with Grant, which you just listened to here earlier in the podcast. But let's hit a couple quick news and notes that we have that are just kind of lingering around in the ether over the last week or so. We're, we're still waiting. Jalen Brown, still waiting. He's back from his uh, retreat in Spain with the NBA Players Association. He's been in Dorchester, we saw. Uh, if you saw some of the clips on social media, but 
no Supermax extension yet. Still working on whatever, you know, dotting the I's and crossing the T's or whatever the hell's happening there. We'll get to that when that time comes. But a few other notes that we got here. Let's go to this first one here, which, Adam, you talked about, um, you know, your work that you've done with Heavy, your colleague at Heavy, Steve Bulpit, reported on uh, teams have still been calling on Malcolm Brogdon. And apparently the Celtics have been shutting that down, which of course, you know, Malcolm Brogdon was the original name mentioned in the Chris Apps Porzingis trade. You know, Adam, I'm curious to get your thoughts here just because I know that you have a relationship with Steve. If you've talked to him about this article at all, but you know, teams still calling on Malcolm Brogdon. It seems at least based on his reporting that all indications are that the Celtics and we kind of talked about this ourselves internally here a few episodes ago, are happier moving forward with Malcolm Brogdon as a stable part of this team going into next season. Yeah, so I haven't spoke to anybody about this at all, Um, mainly because I don't want to hear it. I'm kind of against keeping Malcolm Brogdon. I think, and not because I don't think that he's, I don't know, I don't believe Okay, sorry. Not that I don't believe that he's the best value you're going to get. Like You're not going to get an upgrade over Malcolm Brockton by trading Malcolm Brockton. I'm very aware of that. But I'm very against keeping another injury concern, right? But you can't be the hospital Celtics if you don't have a bunch of guys that are going to be in the hospital for a while. So, you know, what do I know? Uh, so I haven't really asked about it. I still think if Brockton has a season like he had last year, then... You you guaranteed to be successful. You're going to have another six. Could have a second six man of the year season candidacy. I also think that he's going to be incredibly valuable when Derek White needs to sit. If you don't really want to have to put too much reliance on Peyton Pritchard, Pritchard needs to be a guy that you plug and play to fill positions and to attack matchups. Not somebody that you bring off the bench to change the flow of the game and yada yada yada. So. While I understand rejecting phone calls on Malcolm Brogdon, I'm kind of like, dude, I don't think he's going to stay as healthy as he did last year. His career trajectory tells me he's going to be hurt more than he was this past season. Yeah, and I mean, for me with Brogdon, I think the thing is I want him and his salary to be available for a bigger swing, that the Celtics are targeting somebody that they think would fit this team, not necessarily another team reaching out and being like, hey, what about these two random guys on our team from Malcolm Brogdon because the contracts line up, which is probably more what's happening than being like, hey, you're going to get fair value with what we're calling for Malcolm Brogdon right now because that's what I would imagine most teams around the league are looking at what happened with the Celtics and the Celtics are trying to uh, reshuffle the deck, so to speak. And they're like, maybe we can steal Brogdon from the Celtics for something cheap, right? That's kind of how I'm reading that report. And if we want to go out and get someone that can really be a difference maker, say, you know, we talked about the Jalen Brown contract not being done. I know everyone's saying that it's a done, it's, it's, it's going to be a done deal. Everybody's reporting that, but at the end of the day, it's not a done deal until it's a done deal. Right? So if you, JB and Brogdon and some picks together like what what is out there that you could get like as long as JB is not signed although I want him signed Brogdon's got to be you know part of that deal to get something bigger coming back to the Celtics right if it's a Dame Lillard I know we've, we've kind of talked about how we're out on Dame but if it's a Dame Lillard if it's somebody mm-hmm. else that that's what that contract needs to be that's kind of my read into it yeah and it's also 
they kind of have to say this now, right? Like after you, you basically put the guy in a trade, you have to say, no, no, we actually really, we never really wanted to put Malcolm in that trade. You know, that was just kind of an unfortunate circumstance. You're really trying to walk back and, and really find some, some goodwill towards, you know, Malcolm Brogdon and bridging that gap of, Hey man, you know, no hard feelings, right? Like we're all still good here. Here's your sixth man of the world. We'll celebrate it opening night. Like we're going to, we're going to have a ceremony or something, you know? So I, I think in one way, they're just kind of doing what they have to, but I also think, you know, after they made the trade for, for Porzingis, lost Grant Williams, like Brogdon's kind of a, a, a necessary piece to me at this point. And he's also being, I think to a degree undervalued for what he did bring, you know, in that regular season where, you know, like you said, he's a sixth man of the year. He had a damn good season. He did finally get hurt, you know, in the, in the playoffs, which was unfortunate timing, but it was something that we were kind of all waiting to happen. So, you know, I think if they can mend the fence, this is step one, say the right things, you know, behind the scenes, they got to make sure everything's copacetic. But I, I think this is kind of what, they have to do. I do think it's a good sign that other teams are still calling on Brogdon, whether it's to try and swindle them, because like you said, Greg, there's just an opportunity that might be there. Um, but I do think from a future standpoint of thinking, you know, man, it feels like, cause it feels like internally with Celtics fans, Brogdon's, you know, Q rating or whatever it is that measures their, their popularity is a little bit lower than I think it probably should be, but it's good to see that around the league, you know, people are still calling like, maybe we can, we can work something out. So I think to your point, the contract, and as long as he can match, you know, maintain close to the level of play that he had last year, like he's going to be an asset, I think is, is kind of the big thing. So um, I, I'm, I'm encouraged by this. And I, I think it's the, I think on all fronts, it's the Celtics keeping face and saying the right thing. Yeah. I mean, just to jump in there, it's definitely, you're not as like, the way I was trying to articulate a moment, you're not going to get fair value for Brogdon because of the injury yeah. concern, because of the contract design, the age. He is more valuable to you than he is anywhere else at the moment. It's just that that injury risk to me is legitimate. And I and then, you know, I'd rather try and avoid another season with having to deal with multiple injury concerns. And then just where Greg said, like, uh, you know, everyone's reporting this Jalen Brand deal is going to get done. Oh, everyone reported the Al Horford deal was going to get done too. Then Al Horford ended up in Philly. So, you know, it's not over till it's over, baby. Sorry. Yeah. I'll be Until that ink's dry. Until that ink's dry, it, it, it don't matter. So, you know, anything, all of that could change, obviously. So we will stay attuned to that. But while we're talking about the backcourt, this is this is a funner one that I think uh took me a little bit by surprise. I mean, not a not a gargantuan surprise here, but our guy Peyton Pritchard, you know, Adam Taylor, Adam, you talked about him here just a second ago as one of the, you know, now he's gonna be a more prominent role in that backcourt. Uh, but he's going to be on that USA Select team, which will be helping uh, the full roster train for the upcoming FIBA, uh, which I believe is coming up in August. Let's see. I forget the exact date. But in August, the full FIBA team will be uh, the full A A roster, the varsity roster, if you will, will be participating. But Peyton Pritchard being named to this team, the Select team here, I think is interesting because... Let's just let's let me just read you the names that are on the select team so far, and you tell me which one stands out to you. Cade Cunningham, Jalen Green, Quinton Grimes, Chet Holmgren, Trey Murphy, Keegan Murray, Nas Reed, Jalen Williams, and our guy Peyton Pritchard. I don't know about y'all, but that feels a little funny to me that he made that team. But I also think it's super encouraging. What do you think, Greg? Yeah, I mean, you you might initially think like one of those things is not like the other, right? With Peyton Pritchard being on that roster. Um, you know, Cade Cunningham, Chet Holmgren are probably the cream of the crop there. Jalen Williams, probably a, a, right up there as the big three. 
And then you're, if you're tiering these guys, you're probably then going to Jalen Green, Keegan Murray as the next tier, and then Grimes, Murphy, Reed, and Pritchard, right? Those are probably like the bottom four um, on that. And then Pritchard, Nas Reed, probably better than Pritchard. Grimes, probably better than Pritchard. I've seen some, you know, some things out of Grimes that really that I really like, and then other times you look at him and you're like, oh, he's still very, very raw on the court, but I love the way that he competes, and he's just bigger, right? That's the issue with Pritchard. He's 6'1", 6'2". Um, so with Pritchard, that was actually before you brought this up, well, what I was going to ask is like, who do you guys think is um, like a peer of Peyton Pritchard in today's NBA, right? Because on this roster, I don't necessarily see a Peyton Pritchard peer, but who would you say around the league is a Pritchard peer. Steph Cora. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, that's a good question, man. You know, I mean, I think the tough part is because like, I like to me, what just stood out was all of these guys, you know, a few of these guys have potential, you know, all-stars, all-star appearances in their future. You know, a lot of these other guys where, whether it's Nas Reed or Quentin Grimes, like they were playing prominent roles on playoff teams. Peyton Pritchard didn't really play last year. You know what I mean? Like for, for the most part, there was a, you know, Peyton Pritchard had very few impact moments, not all by his doing. A lot of that was the log gym that we just talked about that existed at the guard position. So to see him on this, to me, I, I really don't have a, a great answer. My first, first name that jumped to my head was Ayo Desumu, And that's more, and I don't really know why that was the first name. That was just kind of a word association thing. He also got a new contract recently. So maybe that was, was top of mind, but just kind of a guy who, Every time he plays, I think he's contributing in a, in a positive manner. I think I get that from Peyton Pritchard. He's been, he was just kind of the energy guy, but didn't have the opportunity to kind of do that mm-hmm. this year. So maybe that's who I would look to. But when you look at like all the guys that, that they put him on this list, like for a guy that didn't play to get the recognition of other guys that potentially have all-star futures, or if you're in the Nas Greed, Quentin Grimes level, you're, you know, a, you're already a starting level player, basically. That's to me that that at least tells me around the league, similar to the Malcolm Brog, people calling about Malcolm Brogdon, people still think Peyton Pritchard can play despite not really seeing him in actual gameplay. Yeah, I think that one of the biggest knocks on Pritchard or one of the perceived knocks is, oh, he's small, he's a defensive liability. And that's true to an extent. But Pritchard hustles his ass off on defense, he hustles his ass off on offense. He's a really good screener for his size. So he gives you loads of options out of the pick and pop and you know, inverted pick and roll actions. I think when you said who's that name that kind of comparable for some reason, and I don't feel like this is a good comparison at all, but the first name that popped into my head was like an Ish Smith, just somebody that could come off the bench and just change the game in an, like in a minute or two, but isn't going to be consistently impactful enough to have a primary role on a team. Like, you know, Ish Smith, sometimes you'll see him be the second guard in the rotation, like first guard off the bench. Other times you'll see him play that third guard role. Like that type of impact there kind of is what I expect from Pritchard. There'll be seasons where we see him have a big role wherever he's at, and then there'll be seasons where he kind of steps back a little bit. When when you ask who stands out, though, on this USA Select team, it's Chet Holmgren, right? The rest have played NBA games. I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. Um, Chet, dude, Chet Chet looks great. I'm I'm big on the Chet Holmgren Rookie of the Year buzz uh, for this year. But I just want to throw some names out there real quick for you guys. I want you to kind of rank these players really quick because these are kind of the names that I was thinking with Pritchard. Um, So Gabe Vincent, Campaign, Javon Carter, Dante DiVincenzo. 
And I so we're ranking said, them with with Peyton Pritchard in the mix, like yeah, one to five, yeah. I guess. Okay. What are we doing? Mm-hmm. Ranking them. I, I want to see where you guys kind of put <laughs> Peyton Pritchard. G- give me those five those names five. one more time. Yeah, I need to write these down. Gabe Vincent. Mm-hmm. Cam Payne. Mm-hmm. Peyton Pritchard. Javon Carter. Dante DiVincenzo. I think number okay. one's pretty obvious, right? I think I think one and two for me are going to be in some order: Gabe Vincent and Dante Divincenzo. Mm, putting Vincent above Divincenzo, it, they're, they're one two. I mean, I think I would probably go Divincenzo one, Gabe Vincent two, and then we're looking at Pritchard Payne and Carter. Pritchard, Pritchard Payne and Carter is tough because I think they're at different stages of their career, right? So I'm probably going to go campaign three for now i'll go peyton pritchard four and i'll go javon carter five i like javon carter but i just think peyton pritchard there you're going to get more out of peyton pritchard if he gets more opportunity with that campaign is more just he's had more opportunity than peyton pritchard. i think peyton pritchard can be above campaign so that would be that would be my list for right now yeah the only change i'd make is i'd have vincent at two and divincenzo at one yeah, okay. I think I think ultimately I would I would rock with that. DiVincenzo one, Vincent two, Campaign three, Peyton Pritchard four, Javon Carter five. Yeah, that's what I've got. Do we feel yeah. like that's probably the the world in which he's living though? We feel like that's those are like at least somewhat peers to Peyton Pritchard right now. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, that's fair. Because I think at the low end he's he he can be Javon Carter for ten years. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? At the high end, he could be the Gabe Vincent or Dante DiVincenzo either coming off the bench as your shooter, or he's that, you know, Gabe Vincent was the, you know, fifth man on a, he was the fifth starter on a finals team, but, you know, obviously it's a little hit or miss, but as long as you're playing with a high IQ and you're playing with the right guys, you can get by with that. So I think that's the high end of Peyton Pritchard, and then Javon Carter would be the low end. So I think that's, I think that feels right. Do you think my two-year-ago ceiling comparison still stands, or do you think that's, completely um, set sail right now is calling him potentially having some sort of Fred Van Vliet in his game to where Fred Van Vliet got to. I don't think he's ever getting $40 million like Fred Van Vliet. Yeah. Now, I know that's a, that's a bit of an anomaly as well, but um, I, I don't think he's going to hit a, a, a Fred Van Vliet ceiling. I, I, I still, I mean, obviously I'm biased here. I still think a little bit of Kirk Heinrich to his game, yeah. a little bit lower than that. Like I don't think he's ever like Fred Van Vliet, Made an All Star game. Will we make? Will we make another one? I don't know. But, but I don't bro, think with Van Vliet, like in the in the 2019 playoffs, he almost was out of the rotation. You know that yeah. was the crazy thing about Van Vliet, right? When we had the the tr- bump transference back then, mm-hmm. right? When when he had the baby, all of a sudden he just went nuts. But there was a time where you're looking at Fred Van Vliet and you're like, damn, like I don't know that he's even going to be necessarily in a in an NBA rotation moving forward after he struggled so much with the Raptors, and then all of a sudden he's Fred Van Vliet that we see today. So like that was kind of always my point with Pritchard. I was like, maybe there's a world in which like the best best case scenario is what Fred Van Vliet's best best case scenario ended up being. If you look at where Van Vliet was 2019 where Pritchard has been like at his ceilings with the Celtics but you know that was just the little exercise because I I really that's a guy as we look to the Celtics roster we need Peyton Pritchard to be a legitimate NBA rotation guy that we all kind of have thought him to be but then last year proved that he wasn't at least in Joe Mazzulla's eyes and that's a big thing because Joe Mazzulla is still the coach I don't want to talk about Joe Mazzuta being the coach right now, but I, I do. <laughs> but what I will say is this, like the difference between Van Vliet and I've pulled up his games played um, between Van Vliet and Pritchard is Van Vliet got 
time to develop. He got time to play through his mistakes. He got opportunities to actually improve his game. Pritchard hasn't had that really. Brad Stevens gave him it a little bit as a two guard. Ima Udoka ran him at both point and two. He gave him opportunities to play. Then John Mazula comes along and basically shuts down the season because John Mazula doesn't understand how good Peyton Pritchard. <laughs> like I know, uh, more I, than I think that's a little rough on Joe, but I'll let you. I'll let you have it. Yeah, I'm joking. Like, but what I'm saying is like you've you've basically lost a season that is typically a young player's best developmental season is that third year that third year is when you start to see real big jumps in production but it's also when players take real big strides throughout the season if you look at grant williams for an argument's sake couldn't shoot a lick in his first year really regressed in the second came back in the Called third his ass ben simmons yep <laughs> and even that was being nice um Came back in the third year, started to be able to knock down shots and then improved his defense throughout the year. That's quite typical for young guys is to improve in the third year and then take bigger steps. Taking that away from Pritchard leaves a few question marks on where he's at and whether he's going to be a viable third guard in the rotation going into a content, you know, like a potential championship mm-hmm. season. So I, I've seen this going around a lot, and this is kind of a little bit off topic from what we plan to do, but I think this is, this, is, this is kind of a fun area that we're exploring right now. But, you know, of like what the grade is for the Celtics in this offseason, we've done some of that ourselves as well. But the part that we never take into account, you know, at least in, in the immediacy of the, of the offseason when judging, well, right after this trade, what does it mean, is that internal development that you're kind of alluding to, Adam, right? Like, what does this mean now that Peyton Pritchard is likely to get more opportunity? What does it mean? We've just seen, you know, some of the Rob Williams clips going around of him working on having a little bit of a, you know, back-to-the-basket game or a little bit of a, you know, a floater or a mid-range jumper. So I'm, I'm curious to know, what, what do you guys think could be some of the biggest internal jumps or internal developments that could that could be big for the Celtics in the offseason that maybe a lot of people aren't thinking of right now. I think we just touched on two of them, right? With Pritchard, um, his ability to step into a seventh to eighth man role that we, you know, we're so think about like the early Peyton Pritchard moments with the Celtics. You were just like, man, this guy can really, really play. He just like has a nose for the ball. He ended up like hurting his knee, I think, his rookie season, right? Which mm-hmm. shelved him for a couple months. But there were some really promising signs with Peyton Pritchard very early in his time with the Celtics where like we were, we were talking like mm, some people on the roster got to be careful because Peyton Pritchard's come for those minutes so like Pritchard stepping into a seventh man role I think is huge uh Rob that you just alluded to working uh, kind of stretching out that offensive game so he's not just what Rob has been which is you know a little bit mi- little bit of a pivot man um they run that delay action with him try to take a little bit more advantage of his passing stepping out to 18 feet I think would be big for Rob uh, I think somebody, I forget who it was, tweeted out that he needs to go to the Brandon Bass school of baseline jumpers. Like, I, I totally agree with that. <laughs> Brandon Bass, that's a good throwback. I, I think, I think uh, Rob's ability to shoot the rock just more willingly next year is going to be big. And then I still think this is the biggest thing for the entire roster is Jalen and Jason, right? The next level that they can get to. If Jalen can be who he was during the regular season last year and not who he regressed to in the playoffs. And if Tatum can continue his trajectory to being a top five perennial MVP candidate, that's that's what's really going to make the difference between the Celtics being a contender or pretender. Is, is Jalen Brown for real? Is Jason Tatum 
ready to be like have the next four years of his career continue to like to be the peak of Jason Tatum what we see over the next four years is that what we're going to see because if if Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown don't continue to develop and become the best versions of themselves all the ancillary pieces don't really matter around it yeah and Adam real quick before we get your thoughts let's take a quick break then we'll get your thoughts here whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. All right, Adam, sorry, cut you off there as we get our get our regularly scheduled break here in the program. But uh, no, tell, us, tell, tell us a little bit more about what you think could be an internal development that maybe maybe people aren't thinking of right now for the Celtics team. Uh, well, it's just going back to the basics, right? Finding out whether we can see a two-man game between Jalen and Jason. I think that we'll, um, sorry, Greg hit the nail on the head. Everybody now is talking about, well, there's going to be two-man games between Paul Zingas and Tatum, between Paul Zingas and Brown. And that's going to be a huge leap in terms of offensive, like, unpredictability, being so unpredictable in what you're going to run. But still finding ways to put Tatum and Brown into the same action and really put defenses into a quandary, and yes, I said quandary, um, <laughs> is going to be the biggest factor here. I think that's the biggest internal internal development jump we've been waiting for for years. And if it doesn't come, then we're going to keep hearing these questions about whether Jalen and Jason can really play together. Mm-hmm. And I've been big on saying play off of each other or play with each other rather than play together. They've proven they can play together. What they haven't done is proven they can play off of each other as well. And I think that's a, a big differentiator that people need to kind of like split down the middle. I also want to ask a question. Everyone seems, and I'm, I'm, all, I'm all in on Pritchard, but everyone seems to believe that Pritchard is that third guard in the rotation. Does Delano Banton not, change that a little bit with his ability to penetrate his size and then just being able to kick out to shooters around the, around the perimeter. I think that would be not quite a pipe dream that Banton can come in and like steal the Peyton Pritchard minutes, but because just because of his sheer size and like his intangibles on the defensive end, I think like his peskiness to be able to guard some wings and to be, you know, for playing in a drop, I think, if you think about Banton's skill set to fight over a screen and like kind of a lock and trail type scenario and a pick and roll, just chase from behind and contest from behind that, that one skill set 
I think might be the difference between him and Pritchard if depending on what scheme we want to run on the defensive end because I love Pritchard's ability to navigate screens in general and I think he, he has a really good job of keeping the ball ice to one side you know if someone set, tries to set a screen on him he's going to be able to fight through that and keep that guy um, on one side of the court whereas Banton might be more willing to let them go over the screen and chase from behind so to me, it's not necessarily what Banton can do on the offensive end because I just don't think he's quite there in in terms of his polish. Yeah, exactly. Right. So to me, Banton, if he's going to steal the minutes, it's going to be because of his defense. Yeah, and, like yeah and, I, and I think with the shooting alone, that's that's going to be a, a, a big separator for me. It's just the fact that Pritchard is a proven 40% three-point shooter. And if Joe Missoula is going to stick to his guns, that our best opportunity to win is we're going to make more threes than you, then you're, you're going to need some guys that can knock down some shots. And, you know, we just lost Grant Marcus was already obviously, you know, kind of up and down, but it's not like we've brought in a ton of guys that are, are ready to knock it down. Przingis, if he's healthy, will be there. But, you know, I, I think with Peyton Pritchard, I think that alone based on what we've seen from Missoula would give him the edge. Yeah, I think so too. I just don't want to not look at that area and then be like, oh, well, why did we never discuss Delano Banton potentially taking minutes? I'm just doing it for covering the bases, right? I do think that when you watch Summer League and the zones that they were running and the way they were pinching on penetration, Banton really fits that style of defense because of his length, his ability to close down space. I don't think he's a better player than Pritchard. I think Pritchard's like vastly more skilled than Delano Banton. I'm not saying Pritchard's a better player, but he's far more skilled. Mm-hmm. What the question I've got is like, if you look at the additions this offseason, O'Shea Brissett, Chris Dapps, Paul Zingas, Delano Banton, am I missing somebody? Uh, Jordan, Walsh, Walsh, Jordan Walsh. Yeah, but that's like a draft edition. I'm talking like an actual pickup. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, Paul Zingas can shoot the three. The other two guys can't shoot. Like, neither of them are, are shooters. They're both rim pressure guys. So, are we re- like, are we going towards more of a penetrate, force to collapse, finish if it's there, then kick it out? Are we going to an inside out rather than an outside in offense? Like what what type of tweaks are we going to see? Because while I do believe that we're still going to see a three point predicated offense, I also think that to not change things up is going to be ridiculously short sighted. I think we do need to see some tweaks. I think Cassell's going to have some input there. Um, Charles Lee will have some input there. So part of me is like, well. Brissett and Banton can both pressure the rim. Pritchard can too, but Pritchard can't really penetrate off the dribble that way. He needs to wait for a screener. Doesn't really have like Pritchard's more. Pritchard's, of a, a, Pritchard's two, more of a two level than three level. Yeah, that, exactly. Right? And he, he like he needs to build his speed up. He's not an explosive first step guy. Whereas Brissett and Banton can kind of use their length to seal you on their hip after that first step. So I, I'm just questioning whether or not. Pritchard falls victim to scheme for the second season running just because everybody's assuming he takes that step up doesn't necessarily mean that his skill will outbeat the intangibles that fit a scheme. Well, I think in that you touched on kind of the last internal development that we haven't really given much to, and that's the coaching, right? And if you do listen to, you know, Grant Williams talk on um, old man, the three with, with JJ Reddick, they kind of go into this, right? Where, Grant is like, yeah, it was, it was like, talks about how tough of a situation it was and where Missoula, you know, I, I was thinking about this as I was listening to the podcast, the, I now looking back on it, obviously looking in hindsight, it's a lot easier. The worst thing for the Celtics team was to get off to that 21 and four start. 
where it just felt like, oh, this is the answer. Missoula just said, hey, man, I'm not going to mess with the defense. It was so great last year. I'm going to focus everything on getting this offense up and running. And then they came out like a fucking bat out of hell, 21 and four best, you know, uh, offensive rating in the history of the NBA by six miles or whatever it was. And it was like, yeah, this is the way. You know, all of a sudden that that was feeling like the answer and it was probably one of the worst things that that, that could have happened because then they're, they felt like, well, we shouldn't adapt because we were doing, they were X, chasing that high dude. It was, it was they like, they, it was like they shot up some freaking heroin or something in the, <laughs> over the first 25 games and they were chasing that high the rest of the year. It was insane yeah. to see, to see that that's what they did. Like, oh, we, we were 21, 21 and four, as you said, best offense of all time. Let's just like keep. Keep doing that, man. Keep injecting that shit into my veins because I want that. And it just never got there again. Never got back to that. Never got back to that. And then it felt like we can't make a change. We didn't have the coaches staff. We lost Damon Sotomayor. We didn't have enough ability to really even even pivot. And that's where I think a lot of it got lost and why it felt so disconnected at times, despite a team that somehow still got to 57 wins and finished with the second-best offense, second-best defense in the regular season, which is the crazy part in all of this. So I, I do think that that coaching uh, will be interesting to see how that changes, what the look and feel of this team is with a full offseason, with a full training camp, everybody knowing kind of their, their roles going into the season. Uh, last topic we wanted to hit here before we we sign off. Uh, Joel Embiid was out here doing his Joel Troel Embiid things that he that he tends to do. So he was talking at an event with Maverick Carter and talked about you know my only goal is I'm I'm paraphrasing here my only goal is winning and maybe it's in Philadelphia maybe it's elsewhere the only thing I want to do is win and so of course everybody's you know third eye starts to open where could he be talking about going where would he go where would he want to go Celtics have been thrown in the mix I think it's it's a bit of a pipe dream but you know the Celtics save all their draft picks we have 9,000 second round picks and swaps uh you know Greg you talked about Malcolm Brogdon's salary we have the Porzingis salary which is going to get the extension JB if he gets the extension beyond after and after a full year goes by so there are options in which the Celtics could get in this mix but here's the question that I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to start with I'm going to start with you, Greg. Where do you think would be the best fit for Joel Embiid in in the entire NBA? Where Where do you think would be the best fit? Maybe the answer is Boston, but maybe maybe you think there's somewhere else that he fits perfectly into. Mm, well, I personally don't think Philly would trade him to to the Celtics. I don't think Philly don't would think trade so him to New York. I think if they're going to trade him, they're going to trade him to the Western Conference. And if you look at any team in the West that has a history of getting the big man when he's available it's the Lakers and you know an Anthony Davis for Joel Embiid type of swap I don't know if it's a three-team deal so Davis goes elsewhere because maybe the the Sixers just decide to rebuild or whatever and they try and get draft capital to me that was the first thing that kind of came to mind because the Lakers always coming out of nowhere and if they think that AD is not that guy um, that you can build an offense around Especially, you know, is it going to be Austin Reeves and a Anthony Davis picking roles when LeBron goes off in the sunset? Like, that's not winning you a championship, right? But if you put Joel Embiid in the mix there, then you at least have an offense, right? You have Joel Embiid that you can always go to in the post, um, and Embiid is an offense unto himself. So I think that would be the first spot. I can't really think of anything else off the top of my head. I don't know about you, Adam, if, um, if you're thinking any Eastern Conference teams or Western Conference teams. Yeah, I mean, in terms of actual trade packages to acquire him, New York stand top of my list. They've got all the young assets you need, all the future firsts, all the future seconds. They can give you whatever you want. If you want to be able to 
continue being a contending team or a peripheral contender. They can make you, they can help you there. If you want to hit the reset button, they can do that for you too. And New York to me are a team that have improved enough where they're at a point where they could actually theoretically land a star. And I think they deserve a true star because of the rebuilding job they've done. Other than that, the Lakers make a ton of sense to me, as you said, Greg. And then part of me, like the romantic in me is like, Yo, Memphis, man, whenever I think of like a team with like a, a big man that's dominant, I'm always like, man, that grit and grind Memphis team when Mark Gasol was there. Like, I'd, I wouldn't mind seeing Embiid go there. It would never happen because Embiid will go to a big market team. But I think so too. But th- that is a fun one, right? Embiid, Marcus. What about Houston? Job, but Houston. That that could be an interesting one. One that's okay. That's fair. The Houston, the Houston one, I think, would. Uh, mm, that's that is a good one. And they would have the relationship with Udoka too, right? Because of yeah. the coach for a year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's a good one. From a from this is okay. Here's one that I love from a basketball standpoint. Definitely not going to happen. But Oklahoma City, because they have so many draft picks. They got they, they got enough young guys. Happen. They can they can make it happen. This is the part where this isn't Brad Beal. Where if Maury want, really want to just say, hey, you know, a year or two from now, like, you know, give me Giddy and J, give me Giddy and Holmgren, give me or or. Giddy, Jalen Williams, Chet Holmgren. Give me two out of the three in all your picks, mm-hmm. and you get Joel Embiid. And then, like, that's, that's, like that's, not, that's not like an insane deal to, to make, you know? Could you imagine the shy Embiid pick and roll? That's what I'm saying. That would be a really fun fit, plus whatever's left over out of those guys. And then maybe you still got, you know, the Lou Dorts, the Kenrick Williams, and all the other role guys that they have as well. The other Jalen Williams, who I like as well. Like, that would be a really fun fit. I yeah, I think it would be to me. I think it would be like you get Holmgren in all the picks, or the other two in all the picks. I don't think you could combine Holmgren with another one of those young guys and the picks. I think Holmgren's at like around the league. He's got to be looked at as that special dude. He that that kid's going to be amazing. I mean, maybe he hasn't played an NBA game yet, though. So I feel yeah. like I mean, maybe that will be the case. I made but... this claim: Wemby is just French shit Holmgren. Like, I believe, like, I, I, I genuinely think that their skill sets are similar, their size is similar. Uh, I'm I hope they home. develop a rivalry. That That's something yeah. that's, that the NBA needs a little bit more of is, like, because like, we got so let down by Embiid. Like, Embiid-Jokic was, like, a fun debate. Then they, like, didn't really play each other in that head-to-head, remember, in the regular season when they were going for, for the MVP. Mm-hmm. Like, I would, and, you know, Holmgren and, and Wemby are going to be on the same timeline. I'd love to see that develop as a rivalry. I think that'd be really cool. Yeah, like the Beanstalk rivalry. <laughs> did, you, did you did you guys see uh my guy Rashad McCann's talking about Bobo? Uh I have that. not. I know Rashad's your boy. What'd he say? Uh he was he was just like I he I think he was on the No Chill podcast or like Gilbert Arenas was doing he something was. during summer league and he was he was making the argument that Bobo is better than Wembenyama, basically, that he's a he's a superstar and that he hasn't he he hasn't really gotten the love that he deserves and that he's excited to see him on on Phoenix, which I am too. I'm excited to see Bull Bull on Phoenix. And I think it could be a really good situation for him, like a motivated Bull Bull, what that could actually look like. Um, but that, that's just like if you want to throw another guy into the beanstalk. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's going to be a, that's a Western Conference yeah. trio right there, right? I mean, if they're all, they're all going well. at it. Poku's a beanstalk too, but I don't think he's moved up <laughs> to the hype as much as Yeah. I, I, I don't think he's there. on, he's, he's quite on their level, uh, their level just yet. But yeah, that's interesting to think about all three of those guys. And then, you know, I mean, so here's the thing like when, when you look at Embiid, and this is what makes Philly's situation right now so fascinating with James Harden, which I was actually just listening to the Zach Lopez podcast and they had a segment in there where he talked about there's this really obscure rule that 
if a player in the last year of his contract just like doesn't report, you can basically prevent him from signing in other locations. It, it's really weird. Listen, listen to the podcast with him and Chris Herring. They go into it. It's something that probably be pretty hard to prove because if he just shows up, I think you could make the argument, well, he was there. He just didn't want to play or whatever. But it was really interesting to think about just like the weird turmoil and the weird social media messages that are going around. And all of it just leads to you know what it means for Embiid. That's all the spe- That's all that matters about any of this re- regarding Philadelphia is what it means for Embiid. I think Adam, you said it right. I think he probably ends up in a big market if he leaves Philly. I think New York would be fun. He just has such a big personality. Yeah. Or LA. I think New York or LA just seem like kind of the right fit that just go with his personality and you know just just would kind of feel like a a natural fit regardless of the the trade packages. If you watch more, we send him to the Raptors. Just be like, right, you're going to Canada. Same way that Pop did to, <laughs> to Kawhi. You go to Canada, just bounce, dude. Hey, man, more is, more is a wild card in all of this. But, uh, yeah, we'll see how that plays out. But I think the Joel Embiid talk is always going to be fun. I don't think for now the Celtics are big players in that. But a year or two down the road, all of that could change. But, fellas, it was fun being back together here. This was a fun episode of Green with Envy. Grant Williams made an appearance on Green with Envy. That is now on the ledger. That is something that we can put up there for any other future guests that we might have. But that's going to do it for this episode of Green with Envy. Adam, Greg, any any final thoughts here? No Hello, thoughts. Everybody. everybody. All right. We're out of thoughts. We got nothing left, folks. We're on E, but we're back. Later this week, we're back. Two episodes a week coming at you. Check us out on YouTube. Make sure you are following and subscribing. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever it is that you listen to us. We appreciate you. Greg, what are we going to hear on the way out? Black Sheep Optimist, questions and lies. Peace, everybody. Peace, y'all. Goodbye.